Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. There's already a gaping hole in the heart of every human that lives in the digital world that craves connection. And we've lost that. We've lost connection. We've lost society. We've lost family in many ways. And I think AI is going to, one, it'll be a, a pendulum swing. It'll exacerbate the issue, but it'll give us the time and the resources necessary to solve the problem. Where businesses, I think, could really find a powerful niche is in serving those communities, creating and serving those communities. What do brands like Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, Vital Proteins, and Blendjet all have in common? They're increasing their abandoned cart revenues by over 10x with retention.com. Visit retention.com to book a demo today. Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have one of the world's best in search in the world. Is that fair to say? It's kind, Daniel. It's kind. I think I'm I'm one of the luckiest, right guy, right place, right time. Well, I want to give. Could you give a little background of who you are? How did you get into the space? And then we can go into our topic today. Yeah, my name is Kasim. I own Solutions Eight. We're the number one ranked Google Ads agency on the planet. I've got 200 clients, $100 million in ad spend under management or observation. I wrote You versus Google, which was number one for marketing and advertising worldwide in Amazon. And I'm very, very humble. <laughs> I love it. The, you cut that pitch down. I think it's a podcast thing. I need to get my pitch down like that. Yeah, you get good at rattling that crap off pretty quickly. There's more to it. There's you know perpetual traffic and the driven mastermind and all that stuff. But I wanted to be cautious about exhausting people's patience. And here I am dropping those names anyway. It's all good. I mean, you go listen to those podcasts and go check out all he's doing. But I want to get to the topic. I think one of the biggest things that are going around is AI. There are AI experts that popped out of nowhere. And then there's like truly people who know AI. But I want to go into AI and search because I know a lot of people I've talked to don't know how to use AI for search and then also how to optimize AI search to be better for the AI pro scripts that are running out there. So let's dive into first, how are you seeing people use AI for search to improve results, to make their lives easier? The first thing I'll say is be really careful about using third-party AI-driven applications and laying them on top of marketing channels like Facebook or Google Ads. Google Ads is already AI-driven. So AI driving AI or managing AI is unto itself a philosophical conundrum, number one. Number two, Google's AI is trillion-dollar AI. Your AI that your nephew built in the basement is not a trillion-dollar AI. So you're taking your bubblegum and duct tape AI and you're slapping it on Google and telling me like, oh, we're going to make some improvements here. I don't buy it unless there's a specific use case like tracking attribution, for instance. One of the core rules I offer people is I don't like AI to AI sans human intervention at the moment. 
AI to AI communication in the future, of course, is, you know, it's going to be just like any other Zapier integration. But while we're still working through the kinks, let's say, and I'll give you really specific examples. Uh, there's a, a MarTech company called Pixis uh, that we're strongly partnered with. And Pixis provides AI targeting, AI creative, AI attribution. So using targeting and creative as an example, if the AI-driven mechanism comes to you and says, hey, Daniel, we should choose these targets, the next step in the process would be developing creative for those targets. Well, if you don't have any human intervention in between those two processes, the AI comes over and says these targets and then begins developing creative. And then the, you know they also have AI governance. So then begins running ads. Nobody's confirmed that the targets are correct. Nobody's confirmed that the creatives are relevant. Nobody's confirmed that the governance is actually going the direction that you want it to go. And until the computer, until we have AGI, artificial general intelligence, where a computer is actually as smart as a human, you need someone to at least thumbs up that stuff. So be really careful with third-party tools. Using the AI in-app, which you know Google, the, I think the strongest, most deliberate, most direct application we've seen of artificial intelligence instead of Google specifically is Performance Max. And dude, Performance Max rolled out in 2019. Like this isn't new. AI is only new to people who, you know, like ChatGPT is just the interface, right? Like we've had GPT-3 since it's two and a half years old or whatever. Performance Max is an AI-driven marketing mechanism that goes out and attempts to accomplish goals that you give Google. And what's crazy is it works phenomenally well. But what are people go horribly wrong is they think that they can manage it the way they've managed every other media buy in the history of media buying. And the analogy I give people is media buying used to be a Formula One race car. You're flying down the road 200 miles an hour, making micro decisions every fraction of a second, hands on the wheel, you're in control. Now, media buying with AI is interstellar space travel at the speed of light. You don't get to drive the spaceship. There's no steering wheel. Instead, you're here to serve the machine, direct the machine. And if you can make that one paradigm shift in your mind, then AI becomes infinitely more accessible to you. But if you try to A, over-index towards manual intervention, or B, be not only completely hands-off, but layer A on top of AI on top of AI, I think you're, you know, those are the two poles. That's the spectrum. I think in both ends of that spectrum, I think you're headed for catastrophe. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. I know like there's a, a fear in the market now that everybody's scared and they got to lose their job to AI. So what could people in search or paid start doing to level up so they become not beaten by AI, but like their job is, is safe because they know how to use AI to their advantage versus obviously like the media buyers that have to, are making this small changes and they don't have any other skills are going to eventually get replaced because AI is going to be better than them. But there's that strategic part and then there's that human part of meeting a buying where I think that a you know your audience better than everybody if you at, at some point. I think the AI might learn it, but they're not talking to humans every day. Humans are unpredictable. AI has parameters that become predictable. So the first question is, what should people be doing today to prepare themselves so AI does not take their job? And then also, second part of the question is, what are some tactics today that people could do to leverage AI 
the new AI, I mean, AI has been old, but using the new solutions out there to be better in search, be better in paid, et cetera. So part one, I'm going to be chicken little here a little bit. Open AI, which is the organization that owns ChatGPT, funded the largest universal basic income study in history. That's not an accident. It's not an accident when the company that is coming in and building the mechanism that can effectively accomplish more or less any endeavor begins looking at the future and saying, well, what happens when we really can do all of these things? On a long enough timeline, especially when robotics catches up, I don't see a task that AI can't accomplish from media buying to landscaping. I think that's a practical reality that we all need to face now. And there's some things that you can do in the short term to delay the inevitable. But what's interesting about it, man, is it's, it's oddly disparate. I'll give you an example, radiology. A radiologist makes $440,000 a year to start. It's a high-end job, radiology. AI beats radiologists 1,000 times out of 1,000. Radiology right now today is effectively obsolete outside of just legislation, like governments and health insurance companies want a human's eyeballs on it for whatever reason, call it risk mitigation, which is hysterical because the computer is far less risky than the human is. But radiology as a job is gone. And there are so many jobs like that that are already technically obsolete. And now we're just waiting for the industries to catch up. Media buying is for sure one of those. I think graphic design is one of those. Many types, not all types, but many types of content creation, especially things like translation, uh, repurposing, editing. I'm not saying any of this to depress anybody, but if you owned a chain of blockbusters, you'd rather be having this conversation about Netflix than the other conversation. So the guys burying their heads in the sand saying like, oh, I love it when everybody talks about, you know, we went from the horse and buggy to the car and everybody thought it was going to just, you know, destroy every industry. And all it did was create new industries. Here's the difference though, and this is what people don't understand. Using that analogy, we're the horses. And there used to be like 600 million horses in the United States, and now there's 30 million horses in the United States, and they're all used for you know recreational activities. The need for human labor, intellectual or physical, is going to diminish on an exponential scale. Uber and Lyft are the largest employers in the United States, stands the U.S. government. Self-driving cars exist right now today. That industry's gone. Again, it's just a legislation issue. So start zooming out is the short answer. And it's maybe a much longer conversation than we want to get into. But if you're in the airlock, think about every job, every task that happens in marketing. You know, you said during our pre-roll that you're the, the top of the T, which I really like for a T-shaped marketer. If you're in the base of the T, your job is for sure taken by AI. You're in the airlock. So I run Google ads. I log into one dashboard. I manage this one channel. This is what I do. AI can do that. Now, if I zoom out, let's say that you're a media buyer doing Google and Facebook. That's not an airlock. Google and Facebook need to interact. They both overly attribute. They both lie about their data. You need to kind of determine the impact Google has on Facebook and Facebook has on Google. And if you take AI, AI at the moment works within Facebook, works within Google, but does not yet work on top of both of them. And so one way to increase your longevity is to zoom out. And if you just did Google before, now you're doing Google and Facebook. And then also, stop trying to do anything from a day-to-day perspective. It's now strategic. You're not making day-to-day incremental changes. You're looking at you know, 90, 180, 360-day views of data and trying to strategically understand more global views of 
impact theory, let's say. The problem is AI is going to get really good at all that too on a long enough timeline. It becomes a question of obsolescence. Right now today, you're safe. Two years from now, you're probably going to be replaced. For I'd say, dude, I think we've got a three to five year period where arbitrage is a really big thing. And instead of my end customer using the AI, I'm just selling them the AI. So instead of me doing the media buying, now I go find the software that does the media buying better. I manage the software, the customer pays me. And I've got three to five years to be able to do that. But on a, again, on a long enough timeline, it's, it's only a matter of time before the customer goes, what do I need you for? I can press you know, stop and go as well. And then the agency model, the arbitrage model begins to get whittled down depending on whatever it is that you're doing. So I think strategy, reporting, analytics, attribution, those things have a much longer timeline than management and creation. But, you know, even the strategy, the reporting, the attribution, I mean, dude, AI is creative. Have you played with Midjourney? No, I have not yet. It's amazing. Dude, it blows my mind what you can ask it for. I mean, it, it ideates. You can ask ChatGPT, you know, give me 30 ideas for books that need to be written for nuns that have left their priestesshood and want to start a small business in Ohio. And chat GPs and be like, well, here's the, and it, it, it actually like thinks it's unbelievably potent and unbelievably powerful. And I think if we don't face that, the fallout ends up being more damaging. Is that depressing, Daniel? Did I just depress everybody? I'm not trying to. I think it's a, a reality check. I think there's just like what we are right now, like there's still businesses that are going to operate in the old school way. Like there's still businesses that are operating in the old school way that still have an, an industries that are really slow. So like there's still that happening. I think also it just gives the perspective, like what can I do as a marketer that AI can't, can't do right now? I think one thing that you're saying too, which I think I'm getting at it is like as a marketer, now we have to like learn business sense more as well, because just because like an AI can drive Google ads and all the stuff, you still have to tell them that the business needs to run a certain way. Like we need to spend it. Right. Offer creation. Offer creation is going to become one of the most important things marketers can possibly do. Yeah. You got to like the creativity of what you insert into these AIs is what you're going to offer. Like the, the things that humans could do that taking obsolete points, putting them together and like, I know my audience, I heard this like in the back channels where AI couldn't hear it. I just think also learning is like the whole business and saying like, okay, marketing plays this part. Like I need the marketing function to do X, Y, and Z and operate at this level. Because I think if you don't understand the business as a whole, you could tell AI to do certain things, buy certain things, run ads at a certain CAC have certain CPLs, like get this many customers. But at this end of the day is like, how does that connect to every part of the business? How I'm like, just because we're getting that CAC, does that mean it's helping the business? Like now we got to start thinking as like, how do we work with finance? How do we work with CS? How do we work with sales? And how can we make the marketing function and the inputs into the AI way better? Because that's how people are going to win now. Because a lot of marketers right now are running marketing functions the wrong way. So that's the problem. And even if you give AI, AI is what you're going to tell it to do. Like you could tell it to run ads, but like maybe you don't even need to run Google in your industry. Like, and you just have Google ads running. Like 
maybe you don't need to run Facebook ads, but you just say, someone, my friend says to run Facebook ads, so I'm going to use AI to do it. Like I bet eventually AI will tell you like, do these five channels and you'll be successful. But then you need to have some sort of competitive advantage because someone else could use the same thing. So the, the only thing they left is like being human and being creative. Like those are the two things that are going to like save. Yeah. Well, which just speaks to that, you know, the, the point that I'm trying to make and maybe making poorly, which is just zoom out. Stop. If you're zoomed in, if your job is to zoom in, the zoomed in jobs are going to be taken. Zoom out. Broad spectrum thinking. Be creative. Connect the dots. And then there's something to be said for, and I think this is where every business should have a community connected to it. I don't care what you do. If you sell hammocks, great. You've got a, a community for, I don't know what it would be, uh, avid readers, outdoorsmen, campers, some community that's loosely related to whatever it is. You know, I've got a Google Ads agency, so I've got a community of agencies. There's already a gaping hole in the heart of every human that lives in the digital world that craves connection. And we've lost that. We've lost connection. We've lost society. We've lost family in many ways. And I think AI is going to, one, it, it'll be a, a pendulum swing. It'll exacerbate the issue, but it'll give us the time and the resources necessary to solve the problem. Where businesses, I think, could really find a powerful niche is in serving those communities, creating and serving those communities. And you see that already now. There's a, I own a mastermind Every member of my mastermind, almost without exception, is a member of at least two masterminds. Nobody just joins one. And then I know some people that are parts of four or five. There's no way you're getting a, an actual ROI past your second or third mastermind. Like now you're just, you're just desperate to connect with people, you know? And I think that AI is never going to be able to do that, or at least I hope not. If we get to that point, if we're all, you know, running around holding hands with androids, I might check out. <laughs> But that would be the direction that I'd drive everybody and anybody can do it. A local preschool to, you know, an e-commerce biz, SaaS company, fintech, martech, I don't care. You can build a community element into your business. And that would be a really hard thing for a computer to usurp. Thinking of things that AI can't do that you can connect, like podcasting, like you're the human. It's going to be weird if an AI runs the podcast with someone. Maybe they have the voice of someone, but if you have a video podcast and, and talking you're connecting with that as human to human. Live events, uh, maybe the AI could put together the event for you and make it look nice in the future, but it's still, you have to be attending, you have to be the community, like you said. You got to find ways to create those live connections right now, because otherwise, right. a lot of people are doing what you're saying, is like, all they're doing is like, digital businesses are running ads, and they not think they they're like oh screw events screw the screw that but the the people who are investing in those human connections now are going to start winning in the future because they're absolutely well dude you know for the listener it does not benefit me to say any of this you think about what I do for a living I'm talking about the death and destruction of my agency and in near term by the way I think agencies have three to five years as they currently exist before we all just become you know, reporting entities, and it becomes more about attribution than anything else. It won't, it won't be management that I'm selling any longer. So I have no vested interest in this narrative outside of the fact that I just think it's the truth. I think this is what happens. And I think with that becomes a whole world of, of possibilities, not least of which are just taking old antiquated businesses and embedding AI into them. You know, all the SaaS companies and the, the consumable e-com product stores, of course, they're going to go AI. Great. What about stonemasons or dry cleaners or Italian restaurants? What if you were to go figure out how to bridge the gap between 
you know, like these kind of old, tired, less sexy industries and help amplify everything that they do, you know, now it becomes AI supply chain or AI ordering or AI process management or AI recruiting or, you know, there's a bunch of little automated processes in between the, the manual services that are necessary in order to really amplify the efficacy of that business. And if you were to do that with, you know, I don't know what an auto mechanic shop, like you could increase the efficacy of that mechanic shop by a thousand times and then cascade that across every mechanic that exists. And now all of a sudden you've got the best agency and or business model for mechanics. There's a ton of opportunity here. We just have to make sure we're pointing our muzzle in the right place. And also like the stuff that the AI would do, what make those, a lot of those businesses great is the service they give to people, the one-on-one connection, like an Italian restaurant, like if they're more efficient in the kitchen and ordering food and being able to stay in business, they can now focus on, yeah, people, which is like the whole point of like that restaurant. Dude, I read that something like 30 to 40% of all restaurants' food is thrown away. Yeah. 30 to 40%. So imagine if you had an AI-driven mechanism that did nothing but monitor food wastage. And now you're sizing your plates perfectly and you're ordering your food perfectly and you're managing your perishables perfectly and you're running your promotions perfectly. 30 to 40% of your cogs all of a sudden are managed. Bam, just like that. You know, and that's that's one example of 100 million. I'm a card-carrying prepper. I've got 50,000 rounds of 7.62 by 3.9 and potassium iodide in my garage. Like I am prepared for all the things. I've never been more optimistic about humanity in my entire life than listening to Sam Altman talk about the capabilities and possibilities of AI. It fixes all supply chain issues. It fixes world hunger. It fixes energy management. It fixes injustice in our legal system. Like it is an unbelievable miracle. And it's such an exciting time to be alive. It's just, there's so much that's unknown. And unknown scares people. And that's the and, that, and that's the reason why. But I also want to go into one topic we, we talked about at the beginning is, so there was the first wave of search is like, how could I improve search for the internet and rank better. The second wave now is people are going to start searching on AI tools to find things. So how how should people be prepared to optimize their website, their content, to be able to let the AI spit out their things first? Because for example, if I say, go type in right now, what are the top five what are five computer, like let's say SaaS products I can use for this? They'll go one, two, three, four. Like obviously people, when they see one, they're going to trust the one better than anything else. So how how should we start thinking about this? I don't know if this is solved yet, but how should we start thinking about it? No, it's a great question. Google just rolled out at Google I.O. It was like May 15 or something. It was very recent. They rolled out the beta for what they're calling uh, generative search which is basically AI-driven search. So instead of like the 10 links that you're used to, right? So like you Google, whatever it is, Montessori school near me. And instead of the ads and then the 10 results that you go piece through, Google delivers what is effectively the answer. And it's in this colored highlighted box and it's independent of the search results. And it it includes references and also follow-up questions that you could potentially ask. But it's a paradigm shift. We've gone from hey, choose your own adventure. Here's a bunch of results that we think could be relevant. You go figure them out. Two, hey, here's what we think the answer is. A bunch of things happen here. The first one is, is we Google stealing clicks because that generative AI is pulling content from the internet and that content is content that you, me, and everybody else created. So Google's going to crawl the content, catalog the content, index the content, amalgamate the content, and then deliver an answer. 
What that means is on a long enough timeline, it will not pay to be a content creator, which means there's an event horizon because now people who are creating content because they're being rewarded for it are going to stop. Well, we have however many years of cached content that will work for most questions, but when people stop creating content because they're no longer being rewarded for it, you end up with this, this it's, it's, it's like code degeneration for a website that's not being upkept, but with the lexicon of knowledge in the world. So that's something that we'll need to solve for. And I think the way to solve for that is embedded citation. When, when generative AI offers an answer, there's embedded citation that shows the primary repositories from which Google was drawing. If that happens, it's no different than SEO exists today, right? Here's the result. Here's the person who gave me the result. And now you're trying to optimize in order to be the person that, that it delivers the result. I don't believe, and this is where I think I, I run counter to the, the narrative, I don't think SEO changes at all. Google's almost 20 years has been trying to identify the most valuable result for a search. Well, the AI-generated search result doesn't change that. It just changes the way that it's delivered. So it's not a method change, it's a context change. And so we're still talking quality content, user engagement, pillar posts, link building, like all the same stuff that illustrates value, none of that changes. It's just Google changes the way that it delivers the information. There's no substantive change to SEO, but the delivery mechanism changes. And unless Google offers citation, and this is really important, and not just Google, but you know, I mean, Chad GPT and whoever, I, I look at Google because they have you know 96% market share by search or whatever. Unless Google offers citation, we begin seeing an atrophy of the code base that is knowledge. People that create the content have to be cited because they have to be rewarded for creating that content. And uh, that'll be a really interesting problem to see solved. And I actually think that they're going to do it, by the way. I don't think that they're not. But the citation will ultimately be what you're going for from an SEO perspective. There is actually an advantage for content creators because I think a lot of what Google puts up in search is like, hey, here's what has been the best ranking content or like, this is what I think is the best. But like the people who have like counter opinions and like in-depth thoughts about certain things, like obviously are not going to be always the correct answer, but are could be cool things to learn from. Like I think content creations go, will go stem from like putting out generic basic content, which it has been for a long time to, hey, how could I add my own like human emotions, human? Because I, even me, like I've tried to replicate like Mark and Millennials, like vibe in chat GPT and all these things, but like it can't write with the funniness and like the human nice thing yet. And it probably could do it in the future once we can archive all like Mark and Millennials. Yeah, I think that's a data issue. As soon as it has enough data to draw from, the more data, you know, it's it's quality in, quality out. And I think the one thing it can't do, like it can give you an opinion, but like also humans have a lot of like opinions that they get from a lot of things. So like you, if you can add more opinionated stuff into your content and because like for ranking, it's good. Like ranking, having like the best results good, but like for content creation sometimes people want to read like the counter of everything that you right. have so it could be good for content creators in that sense obviously you can use ai to help you with a counter argument but then 
and then you add your own spice to it. So I think right now I for like content creators, like if you just add the human and like use AI as a tool, it just make for me it just I just flipped the narrative and said like this is just making my life easier as a content creator so I can put out more content at a greater speed so I can serve my audience better, at least for now. But yeah, it's like trying to learn what inputs to put in to make you a better content creator right now. What is a marketing hill you would die on? Marketing is relationship building. Digital marketing is relationship building at scale. We're constantly fighting this weird narrative that is manipulation. So if I can just get you to see my logo enough or, you know, these neuroassociative conditionings or this, you know, sequence of events in this way, it's the difference between Stephen Covey's personality ethic and character ethic. The personality ethic says, if you smile, when you see somebody, they're going to like you because you trigger the dopamine receptors in their mind. The character ethic says, smile when you see somebody because you're genuinely happy to see them. And I think the character ethic of marketing is that marketing is relationship building. And the way you build relationships is you give. You give first, you give last, you give more. And I know that sounds like really Santa Clausy, but it's just kind of also true. And you can do that at scale. We've all been exposed. I think Apple does this really well. Apple gives far more than you pay it for, right? Like that device works all the damn time and in ways that you didn't expect and with apps that you didn't pay for. And they're one example of a bunch of them. Google's another really good example of that. Google, I mean, every feature offered by Google effectively is free. Now, there's the argument that if the product is free, then you're the product. But you end up having a relationship with these entities. And we can do those as small businesses, as podcasts, as content creators. You can build a relationship. So the hill that I die on is marketing is relationship building. I don't think that's Santa Claus at all, because I think so many people forget the narrative. And I think it needs to keep being reminded to a lot of marketers, because we've all been guilty of this. Like, we have to hit a number. So we start doing things that become unrelationship building and start like ruining relationships. But there's a term that Adam from Workweek, CEO of Workweek, and I love a lot, but a lot of people think about like positive signaling in the market. Like if I put that this piece of content, I'm helping someone if I'm doing something, but a lot of people don't think about negative signaling in the market. Like if I'm doing too much or I'm annoying people too much, or if I'm interrupting too much, or I'm asking for too much like how is that affecting my audience like in the short term yeah we're getting that revenue goal but like how much are you deteriorating your existing customers hurting the relationship exactly and you can't measure that it's a hard thing to measure like i am hurting x amount relationship but like and also people only think about the customer level but what about like you've been marketing to these people who've been in consideration phase of your product for years they love you they're just not ready to buy and you keep being annoying to them, now you're turning off potential buyers. So like there's things that you got to think about, like maybe missing the revenue goal by this much to not do that one annoying thing will be X amount in the future. Like these little negative th- signaling things that people don't do. And that's all comes down to relationship building and the principle of like giving more than you're asking for. But a lot of people do the opposite is ask more than they give and create, have less value than more value. Last question I have for you is, if someone were starting their marketing career today, what is a piece of advice you would give them that they would come back two years from now and thank you for? Niche down, 
niche, niche, niche. You can niche until you think you've niched too far and then niche further. There's no such thing as a niche that's too small. Dude, it took me 15 years to learn this. You make more money, you have less headaches, you offer better service, you charge more, you give more, you know more, you're more effective. Niche, 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 niche. And you can niche on on two axes. There's the industry axis, and then there's the uh, service. So it's what service do you provide to what industry? And, and start with the service if you're in doubt. Now, if you have really amazing inroads, if you're like, oh, my dad's the president of the Chiropractic Association of America, great, go niche down on chiropractors, good for you. But if you don't have those inroads, go find the service first because niching down on an industry still gives you the disadvantage of having to come to the meeting with all the tools on your tool belt. And then you're the idiot, and I was this idiot, by the way, for a decade. You walk into the room and you're like, all right, what do you need? Now you're not a solution provider, you're a handyman. What's broken? And then they're going to point you at what's broken. Well, now you've got 20 clients in 20 industries with 20 problems and you're running 20 different businesses. There's no way you can scale that. And you always look incompetent. Niche down. First choose the service or, or a small slate of services that you want to offer. And it's okay to be a little broad in the beginning while you're learning, but go in with the expectation to niche. And then once you've isolated your service, then niche down on an industry. That's, I mean, I, I've got the number one ranked Google Ads agency on the planet. We started out, my, the company's name is Solutions 8 because I used to have eight core service offerings. We did web and mobile and SEO and video and content and social. And, and, and it was a nightmare. It, and it was my business partner. I'm not even the smart guy. It was my business partner who identified. He's like, dude, everybody who's successful with this long term is successful in Google Ads first. So we started to use Google Ads just as a litmus test to see if they could even survive in their competitive market. We got so good at Google, we niched down to Google. And every time I cut off a service, I made more money. It's the thing where you you just become the best. You've been known as the best at one thing. It's even better if you're in an industry and you're known as the best Google Ads for like SaaS companies or the best at Google Ads for... Oh, dude, 100%. That's what I should have done. If I were smart, I would have done Google Ads for e-com. But you're absolutely right. Like, And you don't even need to be the best. If you're in the top 10, if you're in the top 10 anything, you've got a million dollar business... And it's more scalable. It's easier to hire. It's easier to manage. Your processes are easier. It's easier to sell when you go to exit. Like there's nothing about niching that's a detriment. It looks like you're missing out. So fight FOMO because you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I have to say no to all this work. And it's like being an actor. I, I watched this really interesting documentary about, it was called uh, The Guy From That Thing or something like that. And it was about all these actors that have like worked consistently their entire lives, but you wouldn't know who they are. And one of the resounding narratives was I didn't start getting real offers for work until I, until I started turning work down. Same thing happens in, in, the, in the marketing world, in the agency world. Know who to say no to. Know when to say no. And when you say no, there's just something about it energetically or you know, cosmically. It starts to align you with who you say yes to. And people respect that. They're like, oh, you actually know what you're providing, what service you're providing. And the people you say yes to want to hear no too. You know, we don't do creative. So people come in, hire me for Google Ads, and they're like, all right, you know, when do we start in creative? I'm like, I don't do creative at all. You have to figure that out elsewhere, do it internally, or I'm not the right solution for you. And I've lost clients because of that, but the clients that I keep, I have way better relationship with them than if I tried to figure out how to do creative as a non-creative agency. I don't just piss them off. I also think one thing about the niching that I think is good to know is like, if you're doing two things, if you're top 10% on Google Ads, in the world. Like let's say you're top 10%, but then you go to an industry where there's like not many of those things. Now you become like, like the top 3% in that industry. So like you could go from being like the top 10% and, and I guarantee you, if you become the top 3% in a certain niche, 
that even the top 1% that hasn't been working in your niche, as long as you and knows it, you're going to be better. You're going to be better. So like, that's like the top 10% can be scaled down if you even niche further. But then if you think of one niche, you become like, okay, I'm just 10% now. But if you're a big fish in a little pond. That's like someone told me too, like it also with marketing skills, like if you become like, like you said earlier, but like top 10% of Google ads and top 10% on Facebook, and you combine this, those two, like who in the world are like both top to 10% of both those skills. Now you become like more valuable than just being top 10% in Google. So like being like a table shaped marketer instead of the T shaped marketer, and then having an industry with it, then you become like, harder to beat. Yeah, I love that. You're a category of one. You're yeah. the only one. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been great. I want to give you a couple minutes to plug where people could find you, where people could find your podcast, your masterclass, anything you want to talk about right now. Yeah, I've got a podcast. You can go to Perpetual Traffic. I've got a mastermind, driven mastermind. It's 25 grand a year. You get in a room four times a year with the smartest people in the world. I've got an agency. If you want somebody to help you run your Google ads, it's solate.com. I shoot a YouTube video every single day. So just search for Solutions 8 on YouTube. And uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can find me at Qasem Aslam. Well, this has been great. Go listen to his podcast. This is definitely, if you want to learn about search and paid marketing, it's definitely the best podcast to go learn about that. This podcast, like we said, I think I said it online, is the top of the T like we're trying to learn everything here so we can become, I think you have to learn everything in marketing to be a great marketer. Otherwise you have just like, like you said, AI will destroy you. So, uh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been great. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, Please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.